Thanks for tuning in to the Diabetes Dish Podcast brought to you by DiabeticLifestyle.com. Here's your host, Maureen Connolly. Welcome to our webinar on how to have a healthy pregnancy when you have diabetes. I'm Maureen Connolly, the editor of DiabeticLifestyle.com and the host of The Diabetes Dish, a webinar and podcast series from Vertical Health. So first a plug for DiabeticLifestyle.com. Our site is a great resource for people with type 1 or type 2 diabetes as well as pre-diabetes. And we've got a lot happening at DL these days. So for starters, we're happy to be bringing these monthly webinars to you for free. And if you haven't had a chance to check them all out after today's webinar, you should head over to the site and you can watch or listen to expert-led presentations on mindful eating, diabolemia, how to manage your A1Cs, diabetes burnout, and how to get organized in all areas of your life so you can better manage your diabetes. And there's also a really cool podcast interview I did with DL contributor Alma Schneider called The Pre-Diabetes Predicament. Um, Schneider was recently diagnosed with prediabetes and is kind of pissed off about it, so it'll make for some good listening. Um, we've also got hundreds of diabetes-approved recipes that I'll have you excited about cooking more now that the weather is turning cooler. And you don't want to miss our diabetes medication guides, articles on how to start a running workout, and the latest news on the sugar industry and their efforts to hide research about the connection between sugar and heart disease. So before we get started, a few quick notes. So the presentation is about 40 minutes, and we're going to follow with a 10-minute question and answer session. You can type your questions in the box you see in the lower right-hand corner of your screen. And if you get the whole webinar, don't worry. You'll get an email with a link to access the recording and the slides. So, okay, are you ready to talk healthy pregnancy and diabetes? Because I can't think of two more qualified women to be tackling this topic. Joining us today is Ginger Vieira, and she's a regular contributor to DL, and she's also the editorial director of DiabetesDaily.com and the author of three books, Dealing with Diabetes Burnout, Emotional Eating with Diabetes, and Your Diabetes Science. And her soon-to-be-published fourth book, which she's co-written with today's co-presenter, is called Pregnancy with Type 1 Diabetes, Your Month-to-Month -month Guide to Blood Sugar Management. The book will be available in January of 2017, so just around the corner. And Ginger's also been living with type 1 diabetes since 1999 and is a mom to a sweet baby girl. Jennifer Smith, who's also here with us, is a certified diabetes educator and a registered dietitian who also has type 1 diabetes. She was diagnosed in 1990 when she was 13. And today, Jenny works via Skype with anyone across the globe on goals such as managing uh, your blood sugar during pregnancy, marathon and triathlon training, and everyday exercise. And she's also the go-to diabetes coach for weight loss, insulin pump, and continuous glucose monitor training and general diabetes management goals. Jennifer currently lives in Wisconsin with her husband, Nathan, and their son, Oscar. And she's 24 weeks pregnant with baby number two. You can visit integrateddiabetes.com if you're interested in working with Jenny. Welcome, Ginger and Jenny. Thanks for that introduction, Maureen. Hi, everybody. Jenny, how are you doing over there? I'm doing great. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. So Jenny and I really love talking about this topic because you might have gone to your doctor, whether you have type 1, type 2, or gestational diabetes, you might have gone to your doctor and felt really discouraged. Uh, so it's really, we feel like it's really important for you to know that 
you can experience a healthy pregnancy as a woman with diabetes and yes there are risks there are more responsibilities absolutely but it's possible and there's a lot of information there are a lot of people to help you and it's you know I just don't want people to go into pregnancy thinking that they are doomed or that going into it feeling terrified or avoid pursuing pregnancy and motherhood at all because of something that a person said to them about the risks of pregnancy with diabetes. So we are really going to be talking about all types of diabetes during this webinar because whether you have type 2 and you're taking an oral medication or you have type 1 and you're taking injections of insulin or you have gestational diabetes and you're managing your carb intake along with an oral med or maybe no meds at all or maybe insulin, the blood sugar goals apply to everybody and the the complication risks and the, the extra work really applies to all of us, um, no matter what type of diabetes we have. So I uh, would also just like to preface this that all of this information, Jenny is brilliant, but she, she doesn't just come up with it off the top of her head. All of this information comes from the credible sources of the American Journal of Medicine and Endocrine Practice and the Journal of the American Medical Association. We also want to really make sure everybody remembers that your healthcare team, whatever they're telling you directly, will always trump what people across the internet are telling you. So be sure to work with your own healthcare team closely during your own pregnancy. They're the ones that know exactly what's going on with you in your personal situation with diabetes. Okay, so like anybody, diabetic or not, there's a few things that we should all think about before we're getting pregnant. Right, Jenny? It doesn't matter if you have diabetes Absolutely. for most of these. Okay. No. So, <laughs> right. um, so sleep, exercise, and stress management, I mean, those are things that could even get in the way of getting pregnant, right? Absolutely. All of those things need to be managed along with the myriad other components of management. Um, but they all make a very big difference, especially in the preconception time. Um, throughout pregnancy, yes, but definitely, you know, even preconception, these should all be in order, I guess is a good way to put it. If somebody is living a really stressful life to begin with, or they are getting zero exercise and very little sleep, how, you know, to say get it in order is a really overwhelming task. What would you recommend mm -hmm. for just getting started on improving those well, areas? I think yeah, I think most people probably struggle with maybe one of these daily habits to begin with, um, whether it's sleep, exercise, stress management, or maybe it's overall nutrition or diet or, you know, whatever. I think choosing the one that is the most unmanaged or mismanaged right now is the easiest step to take. You don't want to tackle everything at once, especially if you are going into a planned pregnancy, you have time. You have right. time to consider all of these things, right? Um, so I think, again, the first place to start would be figure out where you're most unsteady, mm -hmm. put some applied time into evaluating what's the reasoning behind why I don't exercise, what's the reason I don't sleep well, or I'm stressed out, etc. And there are always steps that you can take to manage 
more appropriately better that you can improve something. You know, it's not always going to be 100%, just like diabetes management. We never have 100% perfect, right? Um, but any improvement is going to be a step in the right direction. Right. What's that? And sometimes in increasing your sleep could make some of that other stress go down. It could improve Absolutely. your nutrition choices. So that's, you know, mm -hmm. the second on our list is part of everything you just said is eating a healthier diet is not only going to help you um, increase fertility, but also just increase your overall health. And we all want to start pregnancy as healthy as we can. Absolutely. And even, you know, the focus on nutrition, if you're focusing again pre-pregnancy, while it'll help definitely the growth of a new child and even in the possibility of getting pregnant, you're also going to see changes in your own diabetes management because you've made changes that are overall healthy for your body, right? Right. Right. Like just getting more sleep could help increase your mm -hmm. insulin sensitivity, which would help increase. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And so alcohol, coffee, and cigarettes, everybody knows we're not supposed to be consuming any or very little coffee, um, but of course no cigarettes or alcohol during pregnancy. How does that increase in terms of the effect on the baby's health and your health as a person with diabetes? Why is that even more important? Well, you know, I think it's probably well understood the effects of alcohol on a baby while you are pregnant, but certainly these are all essentially, again, going back to that first um, component here, they're all a stress on your body. Alcohol is technically, it's a toxin. Your liver has to take care of clearing it out of the body. Um, coffee, while we are a coffee-laden society, I mean, we have mm -hmm. some type of coffee shop on almost every corner now, right? Um, mm -hmm. And some people, coffee is their breakfast. But coffee in general, it can be used, you know, to a degree. Even in pregnancy now, the recommendations for caffeine are about 200 milligrams a day while pregnant. So it doesn't necessarily mean you, again, have to completely um, quit. But like it says here, you know, reduce a little right. bit. Some people go to using like a half-calf type of thing. Um, some people totally just switch to something different. Or even if you drink a pot a day, see if you can get that down to maybe just one or two cups a day. Again, it's not an all-or-nothing type of situation. Right. Although for alcohol and cigarettes, you know, both of those, not only in pregnancy, but also leading up to pregnancy, they are major stresses on the body. They are not going to be a positive to any degree for a pregnancy um, and for conception. Right. right. Okay. So I actually quit drinking coffee before getting pregnant, but then as soon as I was pregnant, I craved it like crazy and I just wanted half <laughs> a cup. That was all I needed, but it was like, it was just that small amount and I felt great. So it's again, you know, reducing and thinking about moderation for sure in some regard. Exactly. And, and even from the caffeine standpoint there, again, if you don't mind a switch and you still do need a little bit of some type of caffeine, perhaps per first thing in the morning, tea is also a very good alternative, um, except for herbal being completely caffeine-free. Green teas, white teas, black teas do have a small amount of natural caffeine in. And again, it's not, we have, not that we have to be caffeine-free. It's just... Right reduce, right? Right. So. Okay. so with folic acid, women are always told folic acid, folic acid is really important. But you recently told me on one of our calls together how important folic acid is for women with diabetes and recent research made it even more important. Can you tell me about that? Tell everybody mm -hmm. about that. 
Sure. The folic acid is, um, of course, very important, and that's the reason the increased need for it goes up, especially in the three-ish months prior to getting pregnant, as well as especially in that first trimester. Um, Folic acid, of course, relates to all of the neural development, the neural tube um, development in especially that very early stage of pregnancy. And in women with diabetes, they've actually found in research that they tend to already be low in folic acid um, or folate levels. So the research proving in the last three to five years has actually shown an increased need for the folic acid prior to conception and especially through the first trimester. Um, They've even looked at women who have um, PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome and found that increase in folic acid um, for those individuals along with those that have diabetes at the same time can actually be beneficial in that first trimester um, for preventing early miscarriage um, or helping with better implantation. So again, folic acid um, is definitely something that they tend to recommend for diabetes, double the amount that would be recommended if you didn't have diabetes. So at least, you know, double, double the amount. So your typical prenatal vitamin is a good place to start with the normal amount during pregnancy. And then you can always get an extra um, folic acid um, supplement that's completely just that um, to take on the side as well. Great. Okay. And speaking of vitamins, Jenny and I are both very passionate about taking vitamins that are sourced from whole food. So you might not know, but a lot of the vitamins that you get on everyday shelves are often synthetic. So they're created from sometimes even things like car tire material. Um, So if you get a whole food vitamin, and it will share that, that that's what it is on the container, you're getting vitamins that have actually been derived from food sources. So vitamin C from citrus, for example. So New Chapter, Garden of Life, and Rainbow Light are three brands that we know of and recommend. There are many others. You can find a zillion of them um, online and in stores. But look for that whole food branding, okay? And Zika virus. Of course, this is a hot topic right now. Are women with diabetes at a greater risk of Zika, or are we just like anybody else? Yeah, you know, that's actually a really interesting, um, it's an interesting question that I, being 24 weeks pregnant myself right now, um, yeah. I actually brought up with my maternal fetal medicine doctor. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, while there are, there are major risks with it, they haven't yet defined whether, of course, we are at more risk, meaning we're more prone to getting it than somebody who doesn't have diabetes. Um, And again, here in the United States, while there are pockets of places, um, especially in the southern United States, that have shown the Zika virus showing up, nothing as of of yet that I've I've seen at least um, has shown that there's actually, these are actually people coming into the country. Um, So it's not necessarily that we've now got the mosquitoes all over the country that are creating this viral problem, right? right. Um, and again, anytime we have a chronic condition like t- diabetes, um, we are more, I guess, at risk for things like infection. But again, there's nothing specific research-wise that says that somebody with diabetes is at a greater risk of contracting or developing um, 
the general population. Not, not a well-known yeah, separation yeah. yet. Okay. Most all of us can do is be careful about protecting our skin if we are, especially anywhere exactly. near Florida. And yeah. you know, if your husband goes overseas to areas that are infected, be very careful, etc. So all of those mainstream Correct. guidelines. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So moving on. Now let's really get into diabetes and pregnancy. One of the biggest things you're going to hear about before you get pregnant and throughout your entire pregnancy constantly is A1C, A1C, A1C. And again, it doesn't matter what type of diabetes you have, your A1C is a reflection of your blood sugar levels. And it can be really overwhelming because A1C puts a lot of pressure. You're always crossing your fingers that the number comes out what you want it to be at every test when they come back with that little slip in the doctor's office and it says your number. It can be really frustrating if you're not where you're hoping to be. But what can be really helpful is understanding that your A1C is really a direct reflection of your blood sugar level average or your estimated average glucose. So you'll see here we have EAG. So Jenny, could you talk a little bit about that, EAG and A1C? Sure. And I think the, the differentiation or um, the association here was made several years ago already because a lot of a lot of people with diabetes were not being taught well enough that A1C did correlate with an average glucose value. And again, this is over about a three-month time period with more weight being in about the past month, maybe month and a half of your average blood sugars. That's the weight of the more recent blood sugars on that A1C value. So really, when we, when we A1C down to real numbers that everybody gets when they look at their glucometer. You know, if you're aiming for an A1C under 7% um, at conception, which is what's recommended, if your A1C starts around 7, you're looking at your blood sugar having average around 150 to 155 ish, let's say. So, again, to get an average, that means you have to have a variety of numbers higher and a variety of numbers lower to get that middle range, right? So aiming to get that A1C down also means that we're looking and working at getting our glucose values down and that we're averaging or evening things out. Um, I like to also bring up the fact that the importance of A1C, it needs to be explained that we, we want to see more stability, and I think that's where it's important to look at the average glucose, because when we see an A1C, let's say somebody's A1C is 6.5%, and we think, well, gosh, they must be doing something completely different and better than I am, mine is 7.1 or 7.8 or whatever it might be. The important thing about looking at where does that A1C come from reflects back then on looking at stability of how it got there. If somebody is getting an A1C of 6.5, but they have a variance of blood sugar between 50 and 300 and their glucose charts look like a roller coaster, that average A1C looks great, but it doesn't translate into well-managed you know, diabetes. Right. And Whereas consistent maybe the person yeah. and consistent, exactly. Whereas the person who has maybe the seven point two, yeah, that it's it's higher. But maybe they are averaging and their glucose trend line looks like little rolling hills comparative to a roller coaster. Mm. Yes, their average is higher, but they are more stable. Long term right. again. 
more stable, more steady, always translates into technically quote unquote better control than the roller coaster type of control. And when we're looking at moving that into pregnancy, that makes a very big difference as well. Right. When, uh, before I, when I knew I wanted to get pregnant, I wasn't married yet. So I was thinking way down the road, right after marriage, we want to get pregnant. My A1C was 6.8, I think, when I first started thinking about this. So I had six months to prepare and six months to get my A1C down. So I, was, I looked at a 6.8. Okay, that means I'm around like 145, 150 average blood sugar. What do I need to do to get that down? And looking at the EAG really helped me figure out that if I want my A1C around six, that means that when I check my blood sugar between meals and before meals, I need to see on the meter that I'm closer to 100 than 150. And that's what really helped me because it was just thinking, okay, if you're not there, if you're not there between meals and you're not getting enough insulin with your meals, Ginger, I'm saying this to me, of course, I'm not giving anybody else medical advice on how to adjust their insulin. You should work with your healthcare team on that. But I knew for me that that meant I needed more insulin with my meals. And then I also knew if I was waking up high, that you know, mm-hmm. I'm spending the whole night high, and that has a huge impact yep. on my A1C, right? It's right, that's about a, at least a third of your day, exactly. And that's, right. that's yeah. a huge place that I, especially if somebody's using a CGM, and that you have data like that to be able to look at, you can actually find what are those times of day where I'm having these excursions that maybe I don't even know about. Again, overnight is a big one for a lot of people. You may have what looks like beautiful um, or fairly nice control during the day, but if you're skirting up into the higher ranges overnight, even if it's stable there overnight, it means that a third of the weight of what your A1C or average glucose is going to come out, it's going to come out because of that weighted portion of the day that's been high, right? Right. Yeah, spending all night at 200 is not going to get you to an A1C near near 6.5 for sure. Um, okay, so thank you. So let's yeah. move forward. So preconception and your A1C below 7%, we've talked about persistently high blood sugars can actually decrease your fertility. So a lot of people might think, you know, well, as, as soon as I get pregnant, I'll get my blood sugars under control. And certainly not all pregnancies are planned. And if you're someone mm-hmm. facing an unplanned pregnancy, you know, you have to deal with that in the moment and buckle down as soon as you're aware. But if you can plan it, can you talk a little bit about why high blood sugars can make it hard to get pregnant? Sure. I mean, as you know, as it states here, they really affect overall, it's a stress on your body, right? So the persistent high blood sugars, I I think a good way to kind of explain what this means overall system wise is when you have higher glucose values, um, your sugar circular or your your blood circulating in your body gets kind of sticky. It gets slow. And if you think about what your blood does for you, it transports nutrients. Sugar is just one of the very minimal kinds of things that your blood transports all day. So if you think about all the vital nutrients, vitamins, minerals, et cetera, that your blood is supposed to be moving all around the body to keep you healthy, you can then understand that more the higher the blood sugar value is, the slower those nutrients are going to move through the body. Um, So wounds heal a lot slower and things like your reproductive system 
is affected. Essentially, your monthly cycle can be off if your glucose value is highly variable up and down or just persistently high. Um, so again, all of these, these components definitely lead into issues with actually being able to get pregnant um, and can, of course, decrease um, the chance of carrying a healthy pregnancy through even that first trimester. Um, glucose values that are high or A1Cs where again, like you said, many there are many women who don't expect maybe to get pregnant and might start with a high A1C. No, it doesn't mean you are going to have a problem, but the problem um, or the, the prevalence of that problem being there could be higher if you have had sustained higher blood sugars leading up to that pregnancy. Um, okay. So again, you know, there isn't everything saying that just because you started with an A1C of 11%, you didn't realize that you were pregnant and now, oh my goodness, what can I do? It doesn't mean that there is a problem, but the risk is higher because right. the glucose values have been more uncontrolled. So yeah. Right. And I mean, overall, it's very simple concept of that the healthier you are as a mama with diabetes, the healthier your baby is going to be. Absolutely. All right. So let's take a look at the first trimester. So we mentioned this a few times. The A1C goal, once you are pregnant, is below 6.5. That's awesome. Of course, as Jenny mentioned earlier, stability is the goal. So if getting to 6.5 was actually something that caused you incredible amounts of stress or incredible hypoglycemia, then getting that low might not be ideal for you and that would be a decision that you would want to make with your healthcare team or it might mean that you just need to find some more help in in balancing your blood sugar so that you can have a lower a1c without the frequent hypoglycemia i definitely used to think that anybody with an a1c at 6.0 must have low blood sugars all the time i started hanging out with people like jenny and i was like wow jenny can do it she's clearly not on the floor chugging juice boxes all day uh, <laughs> So what is it that she's doing that I need to be doing? And it really came down to counting carbs better, dosing my insulin really carefully, and just really like, I mean, I wasn't, there was no extra action. It was I was just putting more thought into every decision that I made around my diabetes. I was always taking my insulin and counting carbs before, but I wasn't being really thoughtful about it. I was being sort of mostly thoughtful about it, right? So it was that extra step of effort that really helped me get and stay down at 6.0 where that's now my new normal because I got rid of that mentality that a low A1C means low blood sugars all the time and really just decided this is what people with that A1C do when they're successful. I'm going to start trying to do those things too. Mm -hmm. That's my little And you know, one of, the other, one of the other things too that is very helpful, and this is even a preconception sort of planning component is Technology has improved considerably. Yes. You know, in the past 10 years, even the increase in use and benefit of technology. And I think that may be a place that the worry about getting those lower A1Cs or bringing your blood sugar values down to where it's perceived healthier to conceive a child. If you're not currently using any type of technology um, beyond something like a glucose monitor, which fantastic. That's obviously a huge benefit um, for all of us. But if you can get your hands on at least a CGM, even if you're not a pump user, even if you never plan to be a pump user, the bigger thing, the bigger picture lies in what's the trend of your glucose. 
and how can you adjust? So, and can how women with do diabetes get approved yet for at least during you know, pregnancy? Not yet. Um, now that it, there is, there are some differences too with type two diabetes. Um, more often than not, an insurance will be more likely to cover a CGM or a continuous glucose monitor in um, a woman with type two if they are using insulin. Um, okay. Mainly because your blood sugars right fluctuate more. Sorry, gotcha. Correct, um, and not necessarily. Um, more it's just that they fluctuate differently and it's a lot more intensive managed um right. so i i have you know worked with a very few women with type 2 who've been on oral meds and actually have been able to get some sort of coverage for a cgm that's very few and far between it would be more the women who are truly on insulin and dependent on insulin um especially women with type 2 that are currently using an insulin pump Okay. Not uncommon um, or not hard um, then to get coverage for a CGM um, just based on, of course, you know, the craziness of what your insurance company is. Right. And that can, process can take a little while. So definitely it can for your first trimester. Early. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because um, um, it can be helpful, you know, the, I mean, everything is forming really in that first trimester, right? We've right. got all of the major systems that are forming and once once they're there and formed it is what it is the baby, the baby I, I've is never knew that yeah you, that is something I learned from Jenny is that birth defects form in the first 10 weeks of life so that's why if you can plan your pregnancy that's why buckling down and doing what you need to to get your blood sugar in range as quickly as possible is so crucial because that first trimester isn't just about nausea and morning sickness and wishing you had a bump to tell everybody. It's really a crucial period for the baby's development. So use that as motivation. It doesn't need to stress you out. Use it as motivation and inspiration to make the changes in your life that you need to in order to get your A1C where you'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. right. All right, let's go forward. Second trimester A1C goal, again below 6.5. So this is where in the first trimester, you know, you actually, we didn't talk about this, I'm sorry, we skipped past it. You actually start producing a little more insulin in women with type 1. In type 2, is our low blood sugar still an issue in women with type 2? Um, in in type 2, you yeah. know, the interesting thing, again, in the differentiation there between type 1 and type 2 is truly that those with type 2 do have um, self-insulin. Um, you know, their own pancreas is still making insulin. It's just um, a discrepancy either in the way that insulin is being used. There is eventually through the course of life with type 2 a decrease in the amount of insulin or um, beta cells that are active in type 2 diabetes. But that is the interesting thing is, you know, for the most part, um, type 2 and type 1 are very different through pregnancy and can have a lot of differences, um, especially in that first, um, you know, first, second kind of trimester. Um, insulin resistance is certainly a hallmark through pregnancy, whether you have type 1, type 2, or gestational. So right. it's definitely something that's going to be there regardless. Yeah, um, yes. But certainly there are some differences in, in insulin um, and kind of need for insulin through, through different types of diabetes, yeah. Okay. 
So in the second trimester, the biggest difference in terms of blood sugar and your medications is that that is when we start to begin the upward hill of insulin resistance, which is a normal thing in pregnancy, but a non-diabetic woman doesn't check their blood sugar so that in their insulin level, so they don't see that they're producing more insulin. We see it. So could you talk a little bit about what that rate is going to be and how to work with your health care team to manage that? The insulin change, meaning? The insulin, yeah, that's just that increasing insulin resistance that stresses us all out when we're pregnant. Yes, I know. And it's, it's sort of like a, um, like a long roller coaster hill, right? You're riding the roller coaster up to the very top of the hill before the final kind of drop down. Mm-hmm. You imagine that climb is kind of from, you know, mid-second trimester really all the way through about week 35, 36. Um, You get this just consistent increase in insulin need. And, you know, that insulin resistance can be controlled to some degree with some of those things we talked about to begin with, things like activity level. Um, So if you have a fairly good active lifestyle and, and you can and it's okay for you to continue it through your pregnancy, that can help with some of the resistance. It's not going to prevent it by any means because it's part of, pregnancy with diabetes. Um, The interesting thing, it's also part of pregnancy if you don't have diabetes, which is the reason that women are tested for gestational diabetes, you know, within um, that sort of middle range of your 20 weeks, um, anywhere between 24 to 28 weeks, people usually have um, a test for gestational diabetes, that glucose tolerance test, and that's because really that is a, a major time of insulin resistance creeping in. So your glucose values will change, and that's a really good way to evaluate how and when or where your medication needs to change. And then, again, another really good reason for you to be following up with your healthcare team very, very frequently. You should have very close contact with at least your endocrine or your diabetes um, educator or have a very good OB team who really looks at blood glucose values and understands them. Um, because medication may need to change, especially in type 2. You may have controlled very, very well with oral medications. There is a very good chance that later in pregnancy, it may need to be switched to insulin. And again, it's not, not anything that somebody did wrong themselves. It's the nature of pregnancy with diabetes. And so we always have to look at where does a change need to be made for those who are completely, you know, dependent on insulin type 1, insulin needs will definitely creep up. They will. At times, yeah. it'll be just your background, your basal insulin. And at other times, you'll definitely be able to see within meal times your glucose is cresting higher than you want it to. So maybe it's the insulin, the carb, maybe even the correction factor that needs to be adjusted. So, And those are going to go up. You know, for folks listening, that I know I've seen in forums where people talk about their pregnancies, they're thinking, well, my blood sugar is so high, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. You know, your insulin needs are going to go up gradually throughout second trimester and third trimester. So just because you Correct. made a change during week 20 doesn't mean you're not going to need to make a slight increase with the help of your healthcare team around week 22 and week 26 and week 28. It's not, there's no one size fits all of exactly no. when on the calendar that will happen for us, right? We've just got to look Correct. at the numbers and, and work with our healthcare team. 
you can definitely know that once you get to the third trimester, the resistance is definitely more than rearing its crazy head. I mean, it's yeah. definitely very visible. So, you know, things, especially for women who use insulin, um, things like bolusing well before the beginning of the meal can help. Um, there are lots and lots of things that can be done for adjustment to make that, that resistance less noticeable, um, but yeah. it definitely takes attention. To give you an example, when I was in my second trimester, I would take my insulin before eating about 20 minutes before I ate. In my third trimester, and we can go forward to the third trimester page now, in my third trimester, I was taking my insulin sometimes 40, 45 minutes before eating if I was going to eat a real starch like macaroni and cheese or something like that really had carbs in it. So that just goes to show you how much the insulin resistance really plays a role in managing your blood sugar. And you really have to look at the numbers on your glucometer, on your CGM, and react to them. And don't it's not your fault they're going up. It's part of your body's hormonal process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Those third, hormones are crazy. Yes, exactly. So in the third trimester, speaking of hormones, um, this again causes tremendous insulin resistance and but those hormones also are going to affect every other part of your body. Can you talk a little bit about it's not just insulin resistance. How are other ways that those hormones might mess with your blood sugars? Um, well, you know, sometimes the hormones can um, sneak in especially at different times of the day. Um, so as far as blood sugar control, you know, the hormones can make you a little bit more stressed out or a little mm -hmm. more anxious or a little bit more teary. And if you're the type of person that those issues affect your blood sugar, then that's going to possibly lead to what looks like a higher, you know, glucose value. If you're stressed out about something, the hormones are making that stress worse. And eating, so going I mean, to, well, if you're using, if you respond to that stress by eating more, correct, and you're adding, right, so it, it can be, mm -hmm. it's just something important to be aware of is you've got a lot of hormones going on in your body and they're going to affect your emotional state, your physical state, your cravings, and you just really keep yourself in check around those things. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, the hormone levels, of course, as a piece of it, you're also growing through pregnancy. You know, a healthy pregnancy means a weight gain of anywhere between about, let's say, 25 to possibly 35 pounds if you started at a healthy weight free pregnancy. So the weight gain as you continue, especially in the third trimester, um, when baby is really growing fast, um, if you're also gaining more weight than would be considered appropriate, um, and your OB team should be helping you keep on top of that. Um, they should be, you know, essentially doing weight checks or just monitoring to make sure that you're, you're growing appropriately as well as the baby. Um, all of those components can definitely have an impact on that insulin resistance as well. Um, so you may also become a little less active, especially by mid to definitely the end of the third trimester. So some of those things, you know, if you had been able to run five miles up until the beginning of your third trimester and now all of a sudden you can't do five miles, but you can do three miles and it's a lot slower than you were doing, that's going to make a difference in your glucose control as well. 
sometimes it's just adjustment, 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 and the adjustment might not just be to the medication. Some of it's lifestyle, some of it's nutrition. Um, so there are lots of things to change, but it's not, it's definitely manageable. It's just something to work on. You got to react and pay attention. And exactly. in the first trimester, we talked about how um, birth defects develop in the first 10 weeks, and that's, you know, your blood sugar has a big impact on that. In the third trimester, the blood sugar, the excess sugar in your blood that's above what a non diabetic person would be is what causes diabetic women to have slightly larger babies or sometimes much larger babies than the average woman. Can you explain why that is and why tighter blood sugar control, even in the third trimester, is so important? Sure, sure. So essentially, you know, um, again, as you said, baby is growing a lot more in that third trimester. Really the first trimester, baby doesn't get, it grows, but doesn't get very big because everything is developing. Second trimester, things are changing. The organs are still developing and baby is growing, but it's not truly gaining huge amounts of weight. Whereas that third trimester, baby is absolutely getting up to its weight that it needs to be at to be born healthfully. So what translates into the baby's gain, just like our own gain, is what we put into our body makes a difference, along with that translating into glucose control. So keeping things really in target in that third trimester, especially right before um, laboring delivery, can make a very big difference, not only in the birth size of your baby, essentially the more sugar that's circulating in your body, the more it's actually going to get to that child. So the baby's going to have a lot more nutrition than it needs and it's going to get bigger. Um, one of the places that, uh, you know, throughout a pregnancy with diabetes, um, the doctor will typically be doing essentially growth scans, ultrasounds that measure the child's current size. They look at head circumference, abdominal circumference, and then the length of the femur. And they'll give you a growth percentile um, for where your child is. One of the big things to know about that is it's not so much... Um, it's not so much the percent that it comes out at to begin with. The, f the first growth scan, you might have a baby that's the 70th percentile. That doesn't mean you're going to have this 12-pound child. It just means that that's, you know, currently where the measurements are and what they want to aim for is that those measurements are actually staying stable then through the growth of the rest of the pregnancy. So, again, you know, if your baby's at the 70th and you end up delivering at the 70th percentile, Overall, the baby's body Grown. size is all growing the same. Right. One of the places they look for growth specific to diabetes and blood sugar is the baby's abdomen. So mm -hmm. if abdomen is growing very, very big in the baby, but the head circumference and the, you know, the leg length um, is staying kind of stable where it was, it's typically very indicative that glucose control has kind of gone off the charts or gone not as well managed. Um, so that's definitely, you know, again, third trimester is the place where baby is going to gain. Um, so you, you have and, control of that. And one of the perks to being a woman with diabetes is that you get a zillion ultrasounds. I didn't even realize, you know, that my non-diabetic friend only got one ultrasound in her entire pregnancy. And I got like at least a dozen probably. Um, but 
on the other side is that they are constantly looking at that number and it can feel very stressful at times that they're constantly bringing up what the baby weighs because you feel very responsible for that. So just keep yeah. in mind that that is a stressor we all feel and it's just unfortunately a part of the process for pregnancy with diabetes and don't be surprised if by your third trimester you're like oh my gosh am I doing it well or am I completely failing because my doctor will not stop talking about this and you can only do right. the best Okay. So moving forward during delivery, one of the biggest things that you'll hear people talk about is if your baby is born with a low blood sugar. So low blood sugar to a baby is different than it is to us as you know, grown adults. 45 or 2.5 uh, in the metric system is a normal blood sugar for a baby. But if your blood sugars were running really high, especially in the last trimester during um, especially right before they were born and during the, the few days leading up to when your child was born, they could be born with a low blood sugar because they've been producing all this extra insulin in their own body to compensate for all the extra glucose they've been getting from your body. So once they're born and they're disconnected from that extra source of glucose, they still have all this extra insulin being produced in their body for a little while, for a few hours, right, Jenny? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's definitely... It can cause the low blood sugars, and sometimes okay. those low blood sugars can take a lot of stabilization. Some, you know, babies will all their glucose will always be measured at birth, um, and depending on where it is, they will very quickly. If you do plan to nurse, they will very quickly try to um, have you nurse. And usually after the baby is nursing, they will usually do another um, glucose check of, of the baby to ensure that the glucose value hasn't dropped further, is stable, or it has actually come up. Um, and every hospital has a little bit of a different protocol for timeline of how that happens. Um, but essentially what they really want to see is that, that that glucose level is pretty consistently as kind of close to 50 as possible. Um, and again, if not, and if nursing isn't working the greatest for you right away, um, or if your milk has not come in, um, which can be another complication of having higher glucose values towards the end of pregnancy, it can actually de delay lactation um, or milk um, production. So they may have to provide formula to your child, even if you didn't want to give formula if the baby's blood sugar is low enough, they may have to give formula. If the formula isn't enough or doesn't work, um, they may also have to start like an IV glucose strip for a baby mm. in order to get the, the blood sugar values up and to stabilize them. Goal is always, of course, to get baby nursing as quick as possible or being fed as quick as possible um, to stabilize everything so that we don't end up having to have, um, you know, a NICU or a, an, a, an intensive care um, kind of stay for a, for a newborn. We all want to be with that new little one right away. Yeah. And you don't have <laughs> to have perfect blood sugars in order to prevent your baby no. from being in the NICU just because you're a mom with diabetes. It's very possible. No. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's got to be mentioned because it's a real, it's a possibility, but it doesn't mean it's likely if you're doing what you can to keep your blood sugars Correct. healthy, your A1C under 6.5. And that, you also brought up a great point of you might not have planned to want to give your child formula. There's a lot of things that you will hope will go will happen during your labor and your delivery, and they might just not happen. And I think you probably, you know, if you 
spent any time reading blogs about giving birth and people's experiences, diabetes or not, is that you have no control over how it really all turns out. I didn't plan on having a C-section, but I did have a C-section and I have no regrets. I thought I would feel like I was robbed out of the experience of giving birth and I feel absolutely fantastic about the way my daughter was born. It was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm with a c-section so it's just important to remember that especially when you're adding in a disease like diabetes the plan is what you hope for but that doesn't mean that it's going to be what's safest in the end for you and your baby correct and that's why having a plan to begin with can always be very important to have discussed going into i always say the you know when i work with women through pregnancy we develop a labor and delivery plan we talk about what that what that will possibly look like know that things, like you said, can change. There may be something that occurs and totally kind of messes up your whole, what the day or days was gonna look, we're gonna look like for delivery. Um, but definitely starting early on, usually I have conversation with my clients around week 30 to 32 to really begin their ability to discuss with their management team, their OB team about things like what about my medication and what about eating and all of those kinds of things that go into that day because you have diabetes. They wouldn't be there if, if we didn't live with diabetes, right? But you always have to plan ahead for that and know what is the team thinking about? What would I prefer? How can we mesh those so that we truly can have the birthday for our child that, you know, is safest for the baby? Right. So I know we're running short on time. Maureen, are we still okay? Yeah, we're good. I mean, we can open things up for questions if you guys are ready. Sure. Okay. Um, so we have a participant who's asking, if my A1C is 8.5 and I just found out I'm pregnant, what should I do to get it down quickly? Yeah, where do they start? Jenny, what would, you know, it's so overwhelming. How do you fix a whole bunch of things at once? Where's the best place to start, do you think? Oh, Jenny might have been muted. Oh, sorry. I think I was muted. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. One of the best places to really start is, first and foremost, you're acknowledging this is where I am. It's a starting place. And, yes, you're pregnant, so congratulations. That's awesome. Um, one big thing is definitely call your diabetes care team. If they don't currently know that you're pregnant, you may have had a visit with an OB already, or you might be working with a maternal fetal medicine. Um, if they haven't given you many pointers about kind of where to start and go, definitely go to your care team and see, um, you know, what can be some starting places. If you're currently monitoring your glucose, awesome increase the monitoring. If you're currently only doing, you know, six times a day, trying to do pre and post meals, trying to do in between to kind of see where are my excursions happening and where do I need to make some adjustments. It may also depend on the type of medication you're using. You know, if you're using insulin versus oral medications, there's something that isn't quite right there for you. Um, so again, working with your care team is really going to be the best place to start. It might mean that you need to keep some records, some very detailed records, before you go into the visit. And by detailed, it would be helpful if you can do lots of things like where are your glucose values, when are you taking your medication, what are your meals kind of looking like, are you moving at all, 
um, so all the writing, writing writing things the details down in a notepad. You know, it doesn't have to be crazy even, yeah. fancy. Just what you ate, when no. you ate, what medication you took. Absolutely, just go get one of those. You know, fifty cent little um, I kind of like notepads yeah. that you can carry around in your purse with you. Make some notes through the course of the day because the more information your team has to help you make adjustments, the faster the adjustments are going to happen. Um, and I have if to not give a shout out. Just I just have to mention that if you don't have a team that you really feel comfortable turning to, that's why I work with Jenny. And we live in completely different parts of the country, and you meet over Skype. And she was my diabetes educator throughout my entire pregnancy. So just know that that is an option if you feel like you don't have anyone to turn to. Integrateddiabetes.com. Thanks, Ginger. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> Shout out to me and to us. Uh, we've got a great team. I'm not the only one there, but yes. Um, you know, the other one, too, that I think is a good consideration is activity level. That can make a pretty immediate impact on glucose values. Mm -hmm. So if like you have titanium, even absolutely doesn't mean you have to start, you know, training for anything crazy. It just go out and take a walk. Oftentimes if, um, you know, if glucose values, that average A1C um, being around that eight, eight and a half mark, oftentimes that's indicative of more variation in the post-meal time period um, rather than in the fasting time period. So if you're having more excursions, um, you know, post-meal and you, know, you want those, those values down more, Try and take even a 10-minute walk or move, walk in place. If you walk in an office and you don't can't get outside, stand up, walk in place at your desk if you have the ability to do it for 10 minutes. Put on, you know, your earphones and listen to some music or something. Um, but that can definitely help with those post-meal kind of excursions awesome. until you even get into your doctor's office. So Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, okay, another question. Uh, she, the second participant, she asked, are women with diabetes eligible for IVF or other fertility treatments? Available? Absolutely. That's not, um, that's not an issue whatsoever. Uh, the, the issue is more what is your coverage for insurance and what do they do for you as far as that type of fertility um, care. Um, diabetes definitely doesn't ex exclude you by any means. Your okay. parameters for management are going to remain exactly the same because of diabetes. Um, and, you know, if you go to a fertility clinic and they're looking at kind of where you are diabetes management-wise, they may also say, oh, we can absolutely look into doing this for you. This is what we do, but this is where you need to get to before right. we even hmm. consider doing IVF or other fertility, you know, treatments. Yeah, you don't want to spend um, thousands of dollars on fertility treatments, but your blood sugar is being too high. That would be, you know, that would right. be silly. Yeah. Right. Um, but absolutely, diabetes doesn't exclude you whatsoever. I actually, I've worked with um, two people very recently who've both done IVF, um, and of course they have diabetes, so it is Great. not an exclusion at all. Great. Okay, we have time for one more question, and uh, she asks, can I still have a safe pregnancy if I have multiple diabetes complications, retinopathy in my eyes and neuropathy in my feet? Sure, So, and that's a, a very good question. The one, the one thing, um, the neuropathy not quite as much of um, an issue unless there is issue with the neuropathy causing um, some loss of feeling. Um, that doesn't necessarily impact the pregnancy or the, you know, um, but it can impact 
how active you're able to be, which can, of course, then impact blood sugar control and whatnot. The retinopathy definitely is something to consider. Just because you have retinopathy doesn't mean that you can't have a successful, healthy pregnancy. But what is really important and is typically the recommendation is that the retinopathy is stable and has been stable for, I, I believe the recommendation is at least six months to a year prior to trying to conceive. What okay, they're really so looking for is that, right, there's no continual progression. There's no, um, you know, there there's um, vessel um, that looks like it could have potential issue um, to hemorrhage or burst. Um, so really, and this is kind of a preconception for anyone with diabetes, we always, always recommend minimum of six months prior to conception to see where is your high eye health. Right. What is the level that it's at? Because during pregnancy, they will, you will also need to have um, a checkup with your ophthalmologist to see where is my eye health now. It, with retinopathy going into a pregnancy, they would have you going into the eye doctor more frequently to check. Mm -hmm. If you did um, have a very healthy pregnancy, um, even with retinopathy, by the end of pregnancy, they may... Um, that may be a pregnancy that they recommend a C-section versus a vaginal delivery. And the main reason there is just pressure. Um, right. The pushing and whatnot can actually cause issue in the eye then. Um, and they, that may be a recommendation for a C-section. But again, those are all things to evaluate um, kind of along the way and then even, you know, pre-pregnancy. But it certainly shouldn't exclude you. Okay. Okay, well, Ginger and Jennifer, thank you so much for this excellent presentation. Uh, for everybody who is listening or watching, we just want to do a shout out again for this uh, amazing book that's coming out in January. Um, so, Pregnancy with Type 1 Diabetes, your month-to-month -month guide to blood sugar management. Make sure to check it out. Uh, and we hope to see you all next month when Ginger will be back again on October 27th to talk about sex, intimacy, and diabetes. This time she'll be joined by Leanne Harris, who is a certified, she's certified by the International Coaching Federation. And Harris works with people um, who have emotional and psychological issues, which includes counseling individuals and couples on intimacy and relationships. You can go to diabeticlifestyle.com and search webinars to sign up for the sex and intimacy webinar. And finally, thanks to all of you who took the time to be with us to learn more about healthy pregnancies and diabetes. We hope to see you next month. Thanks again.